We're in a series here at Big Valley Grace called uh, Be Prepared, which is all about being prepared to share the greatest story ever, the story of Jesus Christ and how he, how he changed your life. The Bible says this in 1 Peter chapter 3, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And that makes sense, doesn't it? We ought to be prepared if we, we name the name of Christ, if we understand sin and what sin had done and had separated us from God, that we were doomed, that we had no hope of redemption, and that God so loved us that He sent His Son who lived this unbelievable life for us and died a horrific death, was put into a tomb, was raised from the dead and is now sitting at the right hand of the Father and someday is coming back for us, that we would spend our eternity in heaven, well, we ought to be prepared to share that story. I mean, if you really understand your salvation, it's something that you really ought to want. It ought to be the thing that really drives your life. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 20. 28, he said, Jesus came and told his disciples, men, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth, and because of that, I want you to go, and I want you to make disciples of all the nations. Before you can make a disciple of somebody, you've got you to reach them with the, the greatest story ever. Jesus basically said the same thing in Acts chapter 1. He said, but you, I want you to you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and even to the very ends of the earth. And that was a radical statement. Um, here Jesus has these country bumpkins, if you will, all kind of gathered around him. And he says, boys, here's the goal. I want you to go and I want you to tell everybody in Jerusalem about me. And I'm sure when they heard that, they went, we got it, boss. That's not a big problem. We, we can hit Jerusalem. In fact, probably if we put a strategy together, we can probably knock on every door there is in our, our town here. But Jesus didn't stop there. In a modern day uh, context, he would have said, I want you to reach Modesto, Big Valley Grace. But not just Modesto, I want you to reach Stanislaus County. And not just Stanislaus County, but I want you to reach the state. And not just the state, but I want you to reach the entire United States of America. And I don't want you to stop there. I want you to reach the entire world. And I'm sure these guys were going, what? What's he talking about, man? I mean, just reaching Jerusalem will be, will be a pretty big, you know, Nugget, that, that's hard enough to get our minds around. But you want us to go out and reach the whole world? So one of the things you, you love about Jesus is he sets a big goal for us as the church. I want you to reach the world. And here at Big Valley Grace, if you're visiting with us, we may not be able to individually get all over the world, but we have partners all over the world in Africa and Germany and Mexico and, and India, literally all over the world, and, and we support them through our giving and all of that because we really do believe in what the Bible teaches, that we're to reach the world somehow. One of the ways that we reach the world is when we pray for our missionaries and all that, that kind of stuff. 
Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He said, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. You see, all of us, the Bible teaches, have, have gotten away from God. All of us. I was so far away from God that I didn't even believe in Him. That's how far away I was from God. Some of you are, are so far away from God, you don't even believe in Him. Yeah, you're here today, and maybe you came because a friend brought you or whatever, but you're so far away from God, you don't even believe that he, He's real. God says that his church is to be an ambassador. We're to be the ones who say, man, come on, come back home. There's a God out there that made you and created you, and you're made in his very image. And he loved you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you and, and, and be buried for you and come out of the grave for you. And someday he's coming back for you. We're the ones we're the ones that are supposed to communicate this an unbelievable message. You can't miss God's will for us as his people. He wants us to be active in reaching the lost, right, with the good news. If you've been a believer for more than about, I don't know, 30 minutes, you can't miss that. Can't miss it. Now, I want you to think about something. The first Christians, who, whoever lived back in the very first century, okay, those very first Christians didn't, didn't have cars. Now some of you are going, well, what's the deal? Well, well, because they didn't have cars, I want you to think about this, they didn't have bumpers. <laughs> what does that have to do with anything? Well, because they didn't have bumpers, they didn't have a place to put, you know, stickers that told everybody about the church that they went to. Or a bumper where they could put a Bible verse. Or put a fish. Or put some catchy phrase on it. They didn't have any of that. They didn't have any witness wear. You know, they didn't have any Christian t-shirts or, or jewelry or, or crosses and all those kinds of things that we can wear today. You know, those, those t-shirts, maybe you've seen them. Turn or burn! Whenever I see a shirt like that, I always want to go up to the person and say, man, would you just take that off, man? <laughs> you know, don't do it now, but just get home, hurry, and, and get it off. Just, just unbelievable some of the dumb things that are put on shirts and things. But the first century Christians didn't have any of that. No WW, you know, JD, any of that. They didn't have any, you know, radio stations that played Christian music. They didn't have any superstar pastors with TV programs or radio programs or podcasts or whatever. They didn't have any of that. They didn't have any celebrity pitchmen making Christianity the vogue religion of the day or star athletes like, you know, Tim Tebow or whoever that, that were making Christianity cool. They didn't have any of that. They didn't have gospel tracks like the four spiritual laws or, you know, the five bunny hops to Christ or whatever, whatever, the, whatever the track is and there's a thousand of them out there, you know. They didn't have any of that stuff. They didn't have the Gideons putting Bibles in all the hotel rooms. They didn't have any of that. 
They didn't have a building like we have right now. Yet amazingly, every day, not every month or every week, but every single day, unbelievers were giving their lives to Jesus. People were getting saved. The Bible says this in Acts chapter 16. So the churches were strengthened in faith and grew daily in numbers. And I don't know how you go about reading your, your Bible, okay? Sometimes I just read it simply for the enjoyment of reading it. And then there are times when I read it and I say, Lord, you know, your Holy Spirit lives in me. And as I'm reading this, God, maybe there's some place that you just want me to kind of stop and park and meditate on this particular piece of Scripture. When I thought about Acts 16.5, that was one of those moments that the Holy Spirit had me stop and just ponder that verse. And I kept wrestling around with the fact that, how come that doesn't happen here, God? Why isn't that happening in my town? How come people aren't coming to faith in Christ every day here? What was so special about the first century? The same Holy Spirit that indwelled those people indwell us. How come it's not happening here? And I have those kind of conversations with the Lord. I wrestle around with them. I don't always get all the right answers. I don't. But I certainly talk about those things. I, I pace in my office thinking about that. Man, every day, people were coming to faith in Christ. Every day. How'd they do that? How'd they pull that off? They didn't have any of the stuff that we got. None of it. And yet, man, people were getting saved and giving their lives to Christ in just incredible numbers. Well, here's what I want to do. I want to look at a little passage of Scripture uh, that our brother Peter wrote, and, and I think it gives us some really good thoughts. And because we were gone, I wasn't able to um, watch what Pastor Gordon preached or what Ken Silva preached. And typically I do that, so I, I may say some of the same things they said, and if I do, you know, forgive me. My internal clock is way off, and I, I ought to be sleeping right now. <laughs> I, I'm eating at weird times. I was up this morning, just 3 o'clock. So if I just fall asleep here, okay? <laughs> Church is over. It's just, just over. You go have lunch. Go do whatever it is you need to do and just leave me alone. And if I just start drooling up here. Because I am exhausted. And so it's my prayer that somehow the Holy Spirit will do something special with my words. The Word of God says this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. Now, who will want to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats, people's threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good if that is what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong. And I'll stop right there. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to make a few comments that I think are super important as it relates to reaching people for Jesus Christ. 
You see, you need to be prepared. You need to be prepared to share, you know, what it is you believe in with people. And I'm going to get to that in a minute. But way before you're ever prepared to share with people, there are some other things that are every bit as important. And I want to share a couple of them with you. Number one, if you want to reach people for Jesus Christ, you have to live an honorable life. An honorable life. Uh, Verse 13 says, Now who will want to harm you if you're eager to do good? Do good. And that word good there has to do with moral, you got a moral compass. Your life is about, you have moral excellence or you have spiritual excellence. You, you have some biblical excellence in your life. That's what that word good means. It's the same word that's used in Matthew chapter 1 to describe Joseph, Mary's husband. It says this in verse 19, Joseph, Mary's fiance, was a good man. He was a man who had a moral compass. He was a man who had moral excellence. He was a man of spiritual excellence, biblical excellence, you see. Joseph was a man of moral and spiritual excellence, which in my opinion is one of the reasons why God chose Mary to bear a son. You see, we put a lot of juice into Mary's life, and she was obviously a godly young woman. Otherwise, God wouldn't have selected her. But... God was going to have two people raise his son. He was going to grow up in a two-parent home. And he wanted to make sure that the man of that home that his son was raised in was a good man, a moral man, a man who had a had a spiritual, you know, excellence about him, a biblical excellence about him, somebody who lived an honorable life. In my opinion, it's one of the reasons why Mary got chosen was because of who her man was. Because Joseph obviously had a huge impact in Jesus' life. One of the things that attracted God to choose Mary to bear his son, in other words, was the goodness of Joseph. He was an honorable man. He lived an honorable life. Christian, there's there's something beautiful or attractive about a good person, a moral person, somebody that has a moral compass. There's something attractive about somebody who um, has a a, a biblical excellence about them. And I get to hang out with all kinds of people. And man, there's just something about people who are just, there's a morality, morality to them. In fact, I was thinking about before I ever came to know Jesus as my Savior, I, you know, I went to Grace M. Davis High School, and I didn't know the Lord, you know, and I didn't like Christians very much. I always thought they were weird, you know, whatever. Then hang out with them. But last hour, sitting right back there, was George Brown, and he was the Youth for Christ director. And I, I would go to um, Youth for Christ events, these burger bashes and stuff. And the reason why I went was because there were girls there. And here's the deal. There was something really attractive to me about the morality of a Christian girl. Sex was something that was sacred to them. 
They weren't just going to let anybody inside their bodies. That was sacred territory. They, they, they set that apart from other things. And it was attractive. There was something about it that was just kind of unique. And I liked it. I liked it a lot. Paul says this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 5, so we keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of His call. May He, God, give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. And, and here are the good things that, that God's Spirit is going to prompt you to, to do. It's, it's here. It's in this book. And here's Paul's prayer is that you, you would live out these good things in your life. Paul goes on to say this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, As for the rest of you, dear brothers and sisters, never get tired of doing good. This is the good. Not what you want to decide is good. There are people out there today who claim Christ who they're doing all these things that they think are good. <laughs> they're just totally anti what this is. But they've convinced themselves it's good. <laughs> Look, you want to reach people with this incredible message for Jesus Christ, you've got to be committed to living an honorable life, a good moral life, a biblical life, a, a biblical uh, uh, life that's just done with great excellence. God wants you to have a passion for, for doing good. He wants you to have a passion for, for living a, a, a moral life. Look up at verse 1 of 1 Peter chapter 3, and let me ruffle a few feathers. Um, the Bible says this in verse 1, In the same way you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then, even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Let me tell you what Peter's saying here. He was saying, hey, ladies, and by the way, the principle I think works either way, but ladies, maybe you've come to Christ later on in life and your husband wasn't on the same page. He didn't give his life to Christ. But you have. And I know that's true for many of you. You're here and and you're spiritually single. You're married, but you just don't have a, a believing spouse. And what God is saying through Peter is, is this. Look, here's how you can win your husband. Nag at him! No, he didn't say that. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Some of you have tried that and hadn't worked. What he says is this, ladies. Just live an honorable life. Just live a good life in front of your husband. A life of moral excellence. Let the Bible transform your life. And as your husband watches your life being transformed, as you live a good, honorable life, it'll matter. It'll make a difference in his life. And as I, as I said, the principle works both ways. You might be a man in here and you've given your life to Christ, right? And your wife hasn't. You live an honorable life in front of her. 
Maybe you're a teenager here over in the vineyard or whatever, and you've given your life to Christ, and your parents haven't. The same principle holds true. Let your mom and dad see your honorable life. Let them see your life being transformed. In other words, take out the garbage with a smile on your face when your dad tells you to take it out. If your parents tell you to clean up your room, clean up your room and do it with a smile on your face. Let your parents see, man, I don't know what's going on with Jimmy. I think he's got a demon in him, man. I mean, he's actually, you know, kind. He's actually nice. There's something going on, and I don't know what it is. I know he's been going to the youth group, and I see he's got the Bible out, you know. Now he goes down to that big valley. Could, could that be it? It could be that mom and dad, you've both given your life to Christ, but it was later on in life, and your kids are older now. How do you reach them? Just let them see that you're living a good life. That Christ is transforming you. That you're living a, a life that, of goodness. The goodness that this book kind of lays out for us to live. And the Bible says that, wow, that, that matters. Something happens when, when your family, your husband, your wife, your kids, your grandkids, whoever it is, your parents, your neighbors, the other three guys in your foursome, the person in the cubicle next to you starts to see a transformed life. It matters. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5. He said, let your good deeds shine out for all to see. Well, I think that probably includes your spouse, doesn't it? Probably includes your kids. Includes the people you work with. You play softball with, golf with, whoever it might be. Let everybody see your good deeds so that everyone will praise your Father in heaven. Look, your good deeds don't ensure your salvation. That simply comes because of Christ. But your good deeds matter. Especially as it relates to trying to share your faith with others. People need to see a transformed life. Now, obviously, there's always going to be people out there that hate you. They're going to hate your message. This isn't some, you know, magical formula. It's not pixie dust. And if you just live a moral life, everybody will like you. No, look, Jesus lived a moral life. Jesus lived a, a, a life of spiritual excellence, biblical excellence, right? He lived a, a, a God-honoring life, and people hated him, didn't they? Not everybody liked Jesus, so not everybody's going to like you. But I think, you know, somehow how we live is kind of the, 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 the first step. And that brings me to step number two. If you want to reach people for Jesus Christ, you've got to live an honorable life, even if you suffer for living an honorable life. Verse 14 says, but even if you suffer for doing, you know, what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of people's threats. Don't be afraid that people are going to call you a Jesus freak. Don't be afraid that people will call you a Bible thumper. Don't be afraid that people will call you a right-wing fanatical. Don't be afraid of, of, of not being invited to all the right parties. Don't be afraid of that. Just, just live a good life, an honorable life, a God-honoring life. And even if you suffer for it, just keep living it out. Keep living it. 
Don't ever compromise your walk with God ever. Even if you know people are crummy to you, always have a passion for goodness. Always have a, a passion to live an honorable life. Why? Why is it so important? Well, let me give you two things real quick. Number one, Peter says when you suffer for being good, you're blessed by God. <laughs> when, you, when you suffer for being good, God will reward you. And here's the deal. Anybody here want to get a reward from God? I've gotten a lot of awards in my life. Lots. And there's nothing like an award to stir up your flesh. Feels good to get a trophy. You're great. You did great. Woo-hoo-hoo. Yeah, yeah. Unbelievable some of the th- ways we've been deceived by God, by, by the enemy. To stoke our flesh. We justify it in all these weird ways. Kind of weird. Kind of freaky. Kind of scary. Some of you have never even thought about it. But I, uh, we were cleaning up our, our garage and was going through some stuff and I got all these trophies, you know, and I got all these ribbons and things. And I remember getting them. <laughs> you know, hey, got the trophy, man. Yeah, picture. Hey. Got my trophy. Like a big deal. And guess what I just did? Threw them all away. They're all rusted and broke. But there's coming a day when, I don't know how it's all going to play itself out, but the Bible says that if you remain faithful, you live a God-honoring life, even when you suffer for it, there's going to come a day when God's going to hand out some sort of reward, some sort of trophy. And that, that's, that's the one you want in the trophy case. That, that's the one you want to get. And I don't know how it actually is going to all go down. I really don't. I just know that's what the Bible says. In fact, listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. He said, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for living an honorable life, trying to live out a biblical life. Let me tell you something. <laughs> in my job, i got people attack me all the time. There are certain verses they like, and as long as I do that, then I'm fine. But as soon as I bring up other things, or wow. And this weird thing is, is that they're Christians. <laughs> this is unbelievable. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you or they persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you're one of my followers, because you're somebody that really lives out this book. Not just pieces of it, not the pieces you like, but somebody who's committed to the whole thing. He says this, be happy about it. Be very glad, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. And what he's saying there is this, is take one of the Old Testament uh, prophets, our brother, our, our brothers in the Lord, uh, say, Jeremiah, he was persecuted. Uh, uh, Ezekiel, he was persecuted. Isaiah, he was persecuted. Noah was persecuted. They all were persecuted because they were people that lived out the faith. Then you get to the New Testament and 
our, our brothers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, guess what? The baton was handed off to them and they suffered persecution for living out their faith. And now here it is in the 21st century and we now take the baton from a whole lot of our brothers and sisters and it's now our turn to suffer. And I just want you to know something. For some of you, you're of an age where you remember the 40s and the 50s when church attendance was at an all-time high and people, man, Jesus ruled in our country and God was talked about in our schools. It was no big deal. And then you also remember what happened in the 60s. And now you get to the 21st century and guess what? America isn't the same place as it was in the 40s. It's not the same place as it was in the 50s. There, there is... Um, there is an attack on us if you are somebody who says, you know what, I am going to live out this book. I'm going to live a, an honorable life. I'm going to do the good things that are in this book. Not some of the good things. I'm going to live it all out. And if you want to reach people with the message of Jesus Christ, you've got to live an honorable life, but you also have to be committed to living an honorable life even if it isn't cool anymore. And let me just expand the, um, the illustration just a, a little bit. I think it also includes the suffering that we might go through, say, I don't know, your spouse gets cancer. Or you get cancer. How do you react to that? When physical suffering comes. L listen. The guy in the cubicle next to you is watching you. The, your three other people in your foursome, they're watching you. And man, when everything's great, yeah, I go to church, and it's great, I offer, and I sing songs, I listen to the word. Now all of a sudden, boom, you get kidney punched. Someone you love dies. Someone you love gets cancer. And they're watching how is this going to play itself out? And I think too often believers curse God, you know, and walk away from church. And I'm not, I'm not praying. I'm not giving. I'm not going to do anything. God, I don't know why you let this, you know, happen to my spouse or my child or my friend or whoever. And that golfing buddy of yours goes, obviously. His God didn't mean much to him. Or the guy in the cubicle next to you goes, well, I can check Jesus off. Who needs him? Didn't mean anything in his life. In fact, he, he gave up Jesus once the first sign of trouble came. I wonder what the lost thinks when they see churches split. <laughs> Jesus couldn't even keep his church together. And you want me to trust my life with him? I wonder what the lost think when they see Christians who divorce. <laughs> okay, let me get this straight. You want me to receive your Jesus because he'll change my life and I'll have the power of God within me, right? Uh-huh. 
And he couldn't even hold your marriage together, right? Right. No, thank you. I'll go somewhere else. I'll do something else with my life. My point isn't to make anybody feel bad or guilty. Listen, it's an illustration. I'm just trying to illustrate a point here. We're, 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 we're trying to reach the world with this unbelievable message about a God who loves us and cares for us and has the power to forgive us of our sins and has the power to walk out of a grave, who has the power to transform our lives. And the world's watching us. And before we ever start sharing what we believe, man, we got to be committed to, to, to living a holy life, living a godly life, and living a holy life and a godly life even when we suffer at times, even when things go crazy in our lives or our marriages or our families, you see? Anyway, n n number three. If you want to reach people for, for Jesus Christ, you got to have Jesus in the center of your life. Once again, verse 15, who, who will want to harm you if you're eager to do what is good, but even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it, so don't worry or be afraid of their threats. And then verse 15 says, instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. Some of your Bibles say, but in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. And what does that mean exactly? Well. If you were to go to the U.S. champion, you know, tennis championship in New York City, uh, it's an unbelievable complex. I've actually been there. And there are about 40 different courts there. And by the way, the U.S. Uh, Open, the, the, the tennis complex in New York, that is the Jerusalem of all for tennis players. That is holy ground, man. That is sacred ground. And there's about 40 courts all around the center court. And during the US Open, you know, you'll have people in all these other 40 courts, you know, playing tennis. No one cares about those 40. Where you wanna play is center court. You make it to center court, boom, you nailed it, you're in. You're playing center court at the US Open. Here, here, here's the deal. God doesn't want to be on one of the 40 other courts of your life. He wants to be center court. He wants to be in the center of it. You see, we as believers, God's a part of our lives, right? Jesus is a part of our lives. But I think what happens is we, we put Jesus on, on court number 27. He's in the complex. But something else has taken center stage. We put more time and energy and money and things here. Now, now Jesus is, is, is in the complex. He's on court 27. I, I even moved him up to court nine. And then on a Sunday morning, uh, you, you put him in center court, right? And he's in center court and you come to church and things are great and man, there he is. And then Monday rolls around and it's okay. Now, here's the deal, Jesus. We need to put you back on court seven. Because I got, I got people. I don't want them to really know how tight we are supposed to be. In fact, I got some sin I, I want to kind of be involved in. 
I like, the Bible says we, we like the darkness. So what we do is we put Jesus on one of those outer courts, then we can sin. And he's still a part of our lives. And there's something about saying, no, 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 I'm gonna put Jesus in the center of my life. He's got center court, not just on Sunday or at men's Bible studies or women's Bible studies or whatever it is. He's got center court every day of my life, you see. I wanna to read to you the story of three young men who had God at the center of their lives. Most of you know who they are. Their names were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and, and they were basically told that they had to worship some other God, that they had to put another God in the center of their, their lives. You see, there was this king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar was a, he was a bad dude, really bad dude. And Nebuchadnezzar had made this decree that everyone had to worship this particular God, he had to put this particular God in the center of their lives, if you will. And it says this about these three young men in Daniel chapter three. It says, but there were some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. King, they, they pay no attention to you, 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 your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and, and they don't worship the, the gold statue that you've set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before them. And when they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the, the gold statue I've set up? I'll give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I've made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, guys, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Now at this moment, I think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a decision to make. I don't know what happened, you know. I just gotta imagine things. I think they could have said, hey, listen, guys, that hot furnace thing doesn't sound real good to me. Let's move Jesus to court three or court two. He's still in the complex. We could do that. And then we don't have to put sunscreen on. I mean, we're good. Shadrach. Meshach and Abednego replied, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, then God, whom we serve, is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you've set up. <laughs> These are three young men who got it. They had a passion for doing good. They had a passion for doing good even if they were gonna suffer for it. And they had God in the center of their life and nothing was gonna move them off that. Not even a guy like Nebuchadnezzar. God may spare us, he may not. Doesn't matter to us, he's in the center of our lives. And let me tell you something. <laughs> When you have that kind of commitment, I guarantee you, God is going to bring people into your life. 
You see, God's the one who created everybody. Everybody was created in his image. He didn't want anybody to die apart from him. And when you live like this, let me tell you something. God will make sure that you have plenty of opportunities to do number four. This is where being prepared kind of comes into the picture. If you want to reach people for Jesus, you have to be prepared to share with people why you live an honorable life, you see. And if somebody asks about your Christian hope, first. 15 says, always be ready to explain it, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. <laughs> I said this last hour, and it kind of came out, and I was kind of shocked when I said it, and I, I thought for a second, even as I was standing up here, maybe I shouldn't have said that. And then I went, no, I'm glad I said it. I'm going to say it again. I didn't say it Saturday night. If you're not, um, th there are a lot of believers who are prepared who can share with you lots of great things about the Bible. But if you're one of those Christians who knows a lot of things, but you're not living out the faith, Christ really isn't in the center of your life, I wish you didn't know anything about the Bible. I wish you weren't prepared. You see, I think one of the reasons why a lot of people just go, dude, man, what are you talking about, is they know how you live, they know what you're involved in, they know the circumstances of your life, and they're going, okay, you're, you're telling me about Jesus? Look at your life. You don't live a God-honoring life. You don't have any moral compass about your life. You're, there's not a biblical excellence about your life. God's not transforming your life. You can tell me God's been transforming your life all you want. I can look at your life. And there's no transformation. You see, I think before you ever get to the point to where you're sharing your faith with your friends, your family members, and all that, you've got to be living it out. Doesn't that make sense? Now all of a sudden, the message that you're sharing with them kind of goes hand in hand with your life. Look, it is important that you know what you believe. Could, could you explain to someone why you've put God in the center of your life? If somebody were to come to you and say, I've been watching you at work, or I've been watching you at school, or I've been watching you on the golf course, or I've been watching what you post on your Facebook page or whatever, and I've noticed that there's something different about you, what is it? Could you explain it? If you've just gone through a, a really difficult time, maybe you lost a spouse, you lost a child, you lost a, a parent, and, and, and they know, the person in the cubicle next to you knows that you've been suffering, and they see that you've kind of walked through it way differently, could you explain to them the hope that you have? Could you do it? And I know for a lot of you here, the answer is probably no. You, you couldn't explain it. You couldn't explain to anybody really what the good news is, and, and that's not good. And that's why we're, we're doing this little seminar. And already a lot of people signed up, but you ought to be here for this. I know you can invest your life in lots of things, and, and you do. But to invest your life to come down and go, you know what, I really got to get a handle on this. How I can, you know, in a very logical, systematic way, share the hope that I have. And it's, it's not like you're going to learn something, you got to stand in front of your friend and go, number one, 
number two. No, but it's, you just learn it on your hand so you can just kind of touch it. Okay, yeah, and then. And you know what? You'll, be, you'll memorize some verses. You'll memorize some stories. You'll be able to sit down with somebody over coffee and, and kind of expand it to an hour if you wanted to. Or if you're in a grocery store line and you only got a minute and a half maybe, just to very quickly walk through a very well thought through presentation of, of the bad news. People don't know what the bad news is. Why do they need the good news, right? And what the good news is and all of that. And I know for a lot of you, you're, you're scared. The first time I ever, they didn't call it this, but it was by the same organization, I, and I came into a class, and I was nervous, man. I was scared, scared to death. And I, the room was filled with people that were scared to death. And for some of you, you know what? You'll be so scared, you won't show up. But I, I'm asking you to go, you know what? My church is calling me and, and wants to equip me and has paid for it all. I need to go down, hang out, and fellowship with some of my church family and really learn a great way to share the story of my life and how Jesus has transformed my life. And so you need to, afterwards, you can go out and talk with Rick Thompson or just go onto the website or whatever and, and sign up there and, and, and take advantage of it. I, I know how committed we can be to whatever it is we want to be committed to. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, I hope you'd be committed to this. And the last thing I want you to write down is, is this, is that there's power in your personal story. There's power in it. And, and here's the deal. Don't ever be afraid to share whatever it is you know. Don't ever be afraid to just tell somebody what you do know. You know what? Here's the deal. Um, I know I was a sinful person and, and, and God came into my life and cleansed me of my sin and I'm going to heaven. <laughs> just tell people what you know. But here's what happens too oftentimes. We get afraid of what we don't know. And Satan uses that in our lives, and so we don't share with anybody because you're, you're afraid of what you don't know. Someone's going to say, hey, well, what about the rapture? You know, I don't, I don't really know. All I know is that sin had separated me from the Father, and Jesus came and died for my sin. And, and he's cleansed me of my sin. Oh, yeah, yeah, well, what about the Trinity? Tell me about, you know, and I, I, don't, I don't know, really. I, can't, I, can't, I don't know about it. I just know that I was a sinful person. And my sin had separated me from, G, from God. Jesus came. Oh, yeah, well, you know, I, I've read a few things about the Crusades. Well, I, I can't even tell you about what happened yesterday in the news, let alone what happened, you know, a thousand years ago. All I know is that I was sinful. You see, what happens is the enemy gets us all freaked out about what we don't know, and so we just clam up. And I want you to know something. There is power in your personal story, whatever little piece of it is you know. Now, what will get you into trouble, Christian, is when you start talking about something you don't know about. Well, let me explain to you the Trinity, and you don't have a clue. <laughs> then you really look dumb, and, and you look like a fool, and just... Just keep your mouth shut about what you don't know. Don't be afraid of that. 
there's probably not a week that doesn't go by. Somebody doesn't ask me a question, and I go, man, I don't know. I, I, I don't know the answer to that. Somebody who tells you they got all the answers, they, they just lied. I don't have all the answers. But there's power in your personal story. And this is how I want to end, and that is this. Who, who, who are you going to share your, your story with? Who are you going to share your story with? Outside, as you walk out, our arts department put together one of the most incredible things that has ever been at this church, in my humble opinion. I saw it last night when I showed up. Blew me away. There's a big sign out there that says, Jesus saves. And when I saw it last night, there wasn't any paper in it. And I was kind of looking at it going, what's that? And this is what I want you to do. This is what we want you to do. We want you to go, we want you to write down the name of somebody that you know, family member, a friend, your spouse, who doesn't know Christ. That you are going to pray that God opens the door so that you can share the gospel with them. You see, typically what we do here is Easter, Christmas, go put our name out there, you bring your friend here, and Pastor Rick will share. And we, I don't have a problem doing that. We, we do that here in the church. We're kind of switching this around a little bit, and this is about you praying about someone you know that God would give you the opportunity to share this unbelievable story with. And this is all you gotta do. There's sheets of paper out there, and you're gonna write their name or three or four names, and then, and then you're gonna fold it up, you're gonna roll it up, you'll see it out there, and then you're gonna stick it in one of those slots. And pretty soon, you'll see how that thing spells Jesus saves. It's really cool. And we're gonna leave that up for quite a while. And we're gonna spend time praying about those names that are in there. And what we want you to do is go, you know what, I'm gonna get involved in this. I'm not gonna leave it up to my church or my friend. I wanna be the one who can do it. And, and so this and this go kind of hand in, in hand. So when, when I'm done here, I want everybody to go out there, fill out a sheet of paper, and put it in that wall, okay? Over in the venue, stand up. Everybody in here, stand up, okay? Father, thank you, Lord, for our time to, to be here, and um, I'm thankful for your presence in our lives, my life, the power there is. Um, and knowing that you live inside of us, inside of me. I pray that these last three weeks with Gordon and Ken and myself will have been used in such a way that this church family would really see the importance of, of being prepared. And God, may you open up all kinds of doors in our lives that we would be able to share just naturally our own stories of how you have transformed our lives, God. Thanks for your, your goodness to us, and I pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, amen. amen. Hey, get out there and fill out one of those sheets of paper, okay?